Okay, so uh, back at it. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. And Colby, we got more conference realignment talk to discuss today. Yay! I hate to talk about actual football. I was really hoping to spend my entire summer talking about which dominoes might fall where, which it looks like we get to do again because we've gotten more news since we last recorded. Yeah, we got a tweet this week saying, are you guys tired of talking realignment? The answer is yes, but we'd love, much rather be talking about the actual games. But there's no bigger story than this. It certainly impacts the future of Oklahoma State University, let alone the football team. So... We have many things to discuss today, but first, let's hear from Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. And as I was kind of looking at Chris's website, Colby, it reminded me when I was in college that I went to OSU, I went to sporting events, like I was very, I was very OSU-centric, but I didn't own a lot of OSU gear. I think I had like one orange shirt that I would wear to the games, and past that, I didn't have a whole lot. I I don't know if you were you were geared up or not in college, but I wasn't. I don't I don't know why that was the case, but I don't know. I just thought about that as I was looking at the website. I was actually pretty geared up during college. Most of it I already had. Uh, we went to the football games all growing up, and we would park south of the stadium, and we would usually go to Chris's uh, on our way into the stadium or on our way out. So, yeah, my closet was, I'd say, probably 25% orange when I was in college. That's good. I think I feel like that's way closer to the norm. For some reason, I was a bit of an outlier. Now, I did have the OSU basketball shorts that got stolen from me at the fraternity house. I still don't know where those things went, but I'm still bitter about that. But I had like one kind of those baseball shirts where it's like long sleeve. It only goes down to like your elbows. It had orange sleeves and a white base that said Oklahoma State on it. That was kind of like my go-to shirt. So get over to Chris's University Spirit, get your, get your, uh, have more than one shirt for game day, especially if it's going to be hot for the season opener. You're going to want more than one. So we appreciate Chris's sponsoring the podcast and Colby to no one's surprise whatsoever. The PAC 12 announces they're not considering expansion quote at this time with unquote, which I thought was an interesting, uh, interesting line to use in that type of release. But Colby, there was no way they were going through this rigmarole of this alliance with the Big Ten and ACC and then announcing the next week that they were expanding, right? Yeah, I mean, that wasn't surprising at all. And I think Caden McFarland from Tulsa pretty much summed it up pretty well. All that statement really means is that they're just going to wait until Fox or ESPN tells them to expand. And once one of the TV networks tell them to do it, they'll do it. But no, nobody's telling them to right now. They're going to stick with where they're at. Also, there's some uncertainty as to when the college football playoff is actually going to expand. It was originally believed it would be 23. And now maybe some of these people, some of these athletic directors that are voting on it, really want to stick it to OU and Texas and the SEC. I can't imagine that happening because there's too much money on the line. But if that does happen, that could shake things up as well. Well, but I think a lot still hinges on how long OU and Texas are in the conference, because if OU and Texas actually stay in the Big 12 through 2025, then obviously that puts a lot less urgency on things. But I think as far as the Pac-12 goes, uh, Caden said it right. When ESPN and Fox tell them to expand, they'll expand. Until then, they're just going to sit tight. Yeah, I mean, Caden's right. I mean, the only way they're going to expand is when Fox says, we need you to expand because your TV deal stinks. And we know that's going to happen. Now, I think their deal's up in 2024, if I'm not mistaken. I haven't looked that up in a while, but that's what my memory tells me. And I just, 
there's, as I said last show, like the idea that the Pac-12 thinks, all right, we're good. We're totally good with 12, even though we've been a distant fifth in terms of visibility and TV and all those sorts of things. We're, we're good. We're going to stand pat. Like the idea of them standing pat to me is impossible. They can't. They, they have no representatives in the playoff. They need playoff expansion more than anybody before we even get to that talk. But I don't know. I just, they're going to have to expand or, or change what, what they do now, if that includes the big 10 or ACC, I I'm still dubious. So I, I do think ultimately the big 12 is going to stay together, take all that OU in Texas money. And then when those TV deals are up, then it's kind of survival of the fittest. I, I feel like, so I don't know. I, the big 12 is showing a lot of resolve and sticking together so far. It's still so early and there's still so many unknowns with the PAC 12 and, and, and things of that nature that I don't know. I, I just, and Colby, don't don't you think it's so short-sighted and to for these teams to to kind of ban the power of the the, the top twelve playoff? I mean, don't you think that would behoove the the Pac-12 and the Big 12 to have a twelve-team playoff? Because look, even though you're the weaker of the Power Fives, whoever wins your conference is getting in a twelve-team playoff, aren't they not? Yeah, I mean, it would behoove everyone, especially the Big 12 and the Pac-12. There'd just be so much more money involved uh, if you expanded to 12. And, you know, the Pac-12, the Big 12 without OU in Texas, they're not getting in if it's four. I mean, the Pac-12 as it currently exists is not getting in with four unless maybe Oregon or USC go undefeated. That's about the only scenario where it happens. And if recent history tells us anything, Oregon or USC aren't going undefeated anytime soon. So uh, the Pac-12, I think, at some point will expand. The Big 12 is showing some resolve right now, but I think it's pretty easy to show resolve and stick together and and keep saying the right things when nobody else is really knocking down your door, coming to get you. You know, if, if Oklahoma State had an offer on the table from any of the other three conferences, they'd be gone. Same thing with Iowa State, same thing with Kansas, Texas Tech, whoever. They would leave if they had the opportunity to. That opportunity does not exist right now. Doesn't mean it won't exist in the future. It means it doesn't exist right now. Right now, the Big 12 has to do what it can to make sure it's viable both short and long term to try to survive. And we've got rumors this morning about BYU potentially coming in. I think that that would be a pretty good place to start with expansion. Uh, Yes, the not playing on Sunday deal would be a little tricky for baseball and whatever I'd, golf maybe play some Sundays I don't know but uh, I think you can work around that if it keeps your football conference together yeah I, I agree I, I'm totally with you I, I just think no one is willing to add any of the schools so they've obviously made the correct decision that well let's 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 all since no one is leaving for sure then let's let's all stick together collect that money from OU in Texas and reconvene at a later date i think that's that's exactly what's happening now but you, you mentioned it the athletic reported today that byu and the and the big 12 are, have already begun discussions about possible expansion and byu is as, as barry trammell wrote in the oklahoma he wrote a good article on this as well in addition to the athletic that byu is pretty much a no-brainer in that they bring the most value of any non-power five you know they're independent but they have just a massive fan base. They do really good on TV, even though they play late at night and on weird, they play on Friday nights a lot. Uh, I used to think that BYU had no interest, but apparently that's not the case. Apparently they were, they were interested last go around during expansion talks. So I think that's a natural fit. 
uh, in terms of just football? Because let's face it, Colby, and we can go over all the all the candidates, but I don't want to hear anything about location or fit. I want to hear about good football and good TV ratings. Because that's we all know that's what this is all about. And I think BYU would certainly add that. And I didn't realize they have like a bigger endowment than all of the like than like Nebraska, Oklahoma, and other big names like that. Uh, it's like 1.8 billion in endowment money. So they they do really well on TV, Colby, and they they just seem like a no-brainer for the Big 12. Yeah, they do. I mean, I, I think it's a, a great fit. And I wonder, Carson, if the Big 12 could go out and add BYU, Houston, Cincinnati, and UCF. That football conference, I mean, look, it, it's still going to be Big 10 ACC, uh, SEC, but that football conference would be, I think, competing with the Pac-12 for the fourth best Power 5 conference in the nation. Now, recruiting, you're, you're still going to get out-recruited by a few of those big-time schools in the Pac-12, but I think that that Big 12 could contend to be the fourth-best conference in the country uh, and would maybe even go back and forth with the Pac-12, depending on how good, like, the USC's, Oregon's, Washington's of the world are because the Big 12 still wouldn't have that huge marquee brand like a USC that where when they really get things rolling, they can be one of the top in the country. But the Big 12 would have a lot of kind of that next tier of Oklahoma State, Iowa State, BYU, Cincinnati, UCF, uh, you know, Texas Tech, Baylor, TCU on good years. Uh, the Big 12 would have a lot of that next tier. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I, I think – and look, these it's not an ideal situation. You're not adding A&M in Nebraska who would bring – so much more clout to the Big 12. But the, the fact of the matter is, Colby, you can't stay at eight and you can't stay at nine if you add BYU. You just, you can't do it. Like, it, it, it's impo- they need to get to at least 10, if not, I think they should go to 12 personally. And you're right, that, that football program or that football conference, rather, immediately is better than the Pac 12. Like, the Pac 12 has been terrible. They didn't win a bowl game last year, or the year before. I can't remember which year it was. They didn't win a single bowl game. They're terrible in basketball as well. We all know basketball is not that part of the discussion, but just overall, that's a much better athletic conference immediately in football. So, I, and look, I'm, I'm with you. I think, and I said this back when this whole Alliance thing came to, came to light was that it's time for the big 12 to do something. You cannot just sit here with eight teams and it's time to go add up to 12 teams, in my opinion, to make yourselves a viable football conference. And I, I think adding BYU Immediately, we, we talked about their, their TV numbers. They, they average, I think, like 1.6 million. That's, that's more than OSU. Uh, and then I think you have to add BYU or uh, Boise State in that scenario. And I've already had people today when I suggested this say, well, they only play in a you know, 26,000 or 36,000 seat stadium. Well, who cares? They're, they're a name brand on television. People tune in and see the Smurf turf and they watch. People watch Boise State. They're, they're a football brand. People will watch them and they're a natural fit with BYU to where, you know, other sports, if you're making a trek up there, you can play, you know, both of them and they're within 300 miles of each other. And so those two make the most sense for me in football. If you wanted to stop there, I would think that's short-sighted because I think you need to add Cincinnati. I think Cincinnati, they're already in the top 10. They've won every conference they've been in and they've been in a lot of conferences. Luke Fickle's got them rolling. I just think they've and people want to say, well, they're kind of a Johnny come lately. They're not. I mean, Brian Kelly had them rolling back in the early 2010s. I mean, they, they've been good for a while at Cincinnati. They beat they beat Oklahoma up in Cincinnati. I guess Oklahoma won that game. 
but they're, they're a good viable candidate. And then Colby, I think it gets interesting between Houston and UCF. I've always kind of been on the Houston train because of just the location you lost Texas. So you're not adding just yet another Texas school. You're kind of replacing Texas with Houston, which again, not an ideal situation, but let's face facts. Houston should have gotten in the big 12 year, like back when it was formed. I mean, do you remember Colby? Do you remember how bad Baylor was when they joined the league? They were, they were barely even a football program. They had no business being in this league. So I think if you're Houston, you got a legitimate argument too. Well, one thing that I think would be interesting is how much could these schools evolve over five to 10 years in a power five conference? You bring BYU into the big 12, how much better do they get in recruiting? Same thing with Boise State, Houston, Cincinnati, how much better recruits do they get? How much better football do you start playing? I was kind of curious. I think the big 12 pac 12 would be really close. If they added those schools, pac 12 going in this year has five teams ranked top 25, Oregon, Washington, Arizona state, USC, and Utah. They don't have any really high end teams right now. Cause you, USC and Oregon have fallen off a bit, but it it does dip pretty sharply in the Pac-12. I mean, Cal, Oregon State, Washington State, Arizona, Colorado, UCLA, there's some bad football being played at those schools. Stanford can go up and down. Uh, so I think it'd be pretty close between those, but I don't hate the idea of adding Boise. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I'd be, uh, I'd be fine with Boise or... Man, I don't know, because if you're throwing Boise in, there's six potentials. There's Boise, Houston, Memphis, Cincinnati, BYU, and UCF, and they all kind of bring something a little different. Uh, but some combination of four out of those six to get this conference back to 12 I think would be huge. If you want to just go nuts and add all six of them, just go nuts and add all six of them. I mean, why not? Why not make it a 14-team conference and uh, solidify yourself a little further, get more games on TV, get in more time zones, uh, more fan bases, all that stuff. I wouldn't have a problem with that idea either. Well, that would be a lot of slices of the pie. That's true. <laughs> that would That's cut true. down each individual school's earning potential, which is what this is about too, which is kind of why I think they might just stick it to, stick to 10 just for yeah. strictly money reasons. Again, I, I think that was short-sighted, you know, 10 years ago to stay with 10. I really do. I think they would be in a much better position now if they went ahead and added Cincinnati and Louisville when they had the chance. Uh, so I, I, I like Boise a lot. I, I think I'm higher on them than you. I just, I think they're, they're a TV generator and they've, They've only been on mostly um, ESPN. They haven't really been on ABC. So that's why their ratings are really good, even playing at night on just ESPN, which is, you know, that's a cable package. That's not on just regular ABC network television. And the ratings have still been very good. The school that I needed convincing on, and I, I may have gotten it today, was UCF. I just, I've always been kind of opposed to UCF coming to the league. They're kind of out there on, in, in Florida I guess West Virginia would like that, having someone a little closer to them on the East Coast. But uh, Zach Barnett from Football Scoop wrote a, an interesting piece on – he's adamant they should add BYU, Boise, Cincinnati, and UCF. And he, here's what he says about UCF. He says, quote, if it, if, it were, if it were possible to invest in college football programs, UCF would be the stock you'd purchase. A massive university with a young, energetic alumni base. They've appeared in near six bowl games under three different head coaches since 2013 – is more than Texas. UCF joining the Big 12 may not inspire Orlando area kids to spend their college years in Manhattan or Lawrence, but there's more than enough evidence UCF would carry their own weight athletically and financially. I mean, they have a absolutely massive, massive alumni base. It's crazy how big that school is. I mean, they got over 
like 60,000 students or something crazy like that. So I, I wouldn't be opposed to UCF. I kind of lean Houston because Houston's invested in facilities. They're building a new arena for basketball. Their stadium's decent. They've, they've put upgrades into it. Uh, I, I would leave it up to the, the big power brokers who to add, but UCF is, is certainly more interesting than I gave them credit for initially. Yeah, I mean, UCF has the huge attendance. They're in Florida, so that helps a little bit. One thing I thought was a little weird, too, is the Big 12 has put together this expansion subcommittee that's made up, um, per reports, of Texas Tech Athletic Director Kirby Hocutt, Baylor AD Mac Rhodes, Iowa State President Wendy Winterstein, and Kansas Chancellor Douglas Gerard. Carson, is there, I mean, is there something noticeable missing here? Uh, there's no orange in there. There's no orange. That's pretty interesting to me. I, I don't know. Uh, I mean, you can kind of read between the lines there if you want, but I, I think it's a little weird that Oklahoma State would not be included there uh, if they are, in fact, totally invested in the long-term health of the Big 12. Yeah, I, I thought that was very interesting. Now, it's not going to be every, every school represented on this, I guess, but they were notable by their absence. And, you know, Chad Weiberg, said was quoted a couple days ago feeling positive he says quote we're in a good position and i'm just speaking of the position we're in now i feel really good about that we just have to keep doing what we have been doing to put us in the best position regardless of what happens going forward there's nothing that's going to take place of that so i think i think you're right colby that their absence is notable because i i do think oklahoma state is one school left that they have some something to bring another conference to where they're going to be open to offers. So they're, they're going to be involved in these talks. But again, once that TV deals up, I don't know. I think go is going to be looking for a landing spot and they may find one. Yeah, I think so too. I just thought that was really interesting that we've got tech in there. We've got Kansas in there. Iowa state's in the room. Oklahoma state's not in the room. And I mean, it doesn't bother me. It's uh, it is what it is. You know, they'll make the decisions and hopefully it'll be what's best for the conference. Uh, but, but I would still say if, I mean, if in like 2027, Oklahoma State is still in some version of the Big 12, I think that would probably be a little disappointing to me. I still think that this thing's going to go to four eventually. But for now, the Big 12 has to fight, and they have to try to stay alive and stay relevant because, like we said earlier, until ESPN or Fox tell these other conferences that they need to expand, it's not going to happen. So, uh, for the meantime, you got to do what you can to make money after OU and Texas leave. We still don't know when OU and Texas are leaving. Put their feet to the fire. Make them pay the buyout. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen there. Yeah, I, that, that to me is the most interesting thing now that this dust has kind of settled somewhat on expansion from other conferences is how does this play out with OU in Texas? You know, you and I have talked a lot about it and as rich as Texas and Oklahoma are, they're not, they're not paying $80 million just to leave. That, that's no school can afford that. Even Texas just to say, here you go. We're going to cut you a check for $80 million. See you later, which would be great for the remaining be 40 schools. Piece, it? Would it be 40 a piece or 80? 80. 80. 80 a piece, 160 oh, I it million. Was 40 a piece. Oh, no, 80. Well, that's a and, lot. <laughs> and there was a report a month or two ago that the Longhorn Network dissolving would pay for both schools. And then it came out later that Tex the Texas source was saying, I can't remember where it was reported, but they're like, no, we're not, we're not footing the bill for Oklahoma. Sorry. We're not doing <laughs> we're not doing that. Now, maybe ESPN, since they're kind of the ringleaders of all this, maybe they would be willing to because they're gonna they're going to sign some massive contract or they already have with once they get OU in Texas in there, maybe, maybe ESPN gets, comes in there and negotiates uh, some sort of buyout, but the remaining schools are, are going to hold their feet to the fire. They're not going to make any concessions. I wouldn't think. 
No, I wouldn't think so either. I, I mean, why would anyone, for any reason at all, try to help OU or Texas at this point? Make life difficult on them. You want to go to the SEC in 2025? Go in 2025. You want to go sooner? Pay every dime of that buyout. Don't settle this thing. Make their lives difficult. They're making your lives difficult. Return the favor. It's business, right? It's not personal. It's business. You got to do what's right for you. Yep. And maybe uh, and that's what's interesting too, Colby. Like, like, I certainly understand that a 12-team playoff would certainly benefit the remaining schools and would benefit the Pac-12 and even the Big Ten. I mean, they get more teams in the playoff too. Uh, but it is interesting that you know, I think the timing of this is so interesting because this, this came out before Oklahoma wanted it to. I'm, I'm certainly of the opinion that Oklahoma and Texas wanted to keep this under the radar until those other conferences voted for a 12-team playoff, then let the cat out of the bag. That way they know they, they can still get in the playoff, even though they're joining just a massive conference in the SEC. So I do think the timing now in hindsight really probably threw off Oklahoma with all of this because now these these conferences have banded together to say, no, we're not going to 12 now. No, nah, we're, we're good. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I think it was really interesting. And I, that's kind of their way to stick it, I think, a little bit to OU in Texas because I think the idea was move to the SEC. Yes, this buyout lingers over our head, but the Big 12 will dissolve. We'll get to go next year. Playoff will expand the following year. So the SEC will be getting three, four, five teams in the playoff every year. Playoff doesn't expand. You don't have that option, but – then if the playoff doesn't expand, I mean, OU just stays in the conference for four more years, wins the conference for four more years, goes to the college football playoff out of the Big 12 every year anyway. So I don't think it impacts uh, OU as much as far as getting to the playoff as it does Texas because maybe maybe Texas has a great year in the SEC and finishes fourth in the conference twice a decade and sneaks into the back end of the playoff before they get just trounced in the first round. I don't know. Uh, maybe Sarkeesian is going to turn it around around down there i still don't think so i still think the boosters are a big issue uh but yeah if they decide to stick it to the sec by not expanding the playoff right now it would be and i still don't think that that's going to happen i really don't because there's too much money on the line for everybody for them to just let their pride get in the way but if they do decide to go that route uh i'll have a good laugh at the sec's expense yeah that would be funny um so colby let's say they add those teams we mentioned before and Zach Barnett came up with the Big 12 East, which would be West Virginia, Cincy, UCF, Iowa State, Kansas, Kansas State, against the Big 12 West, Oklahoma State, Baylor, TCU, Tech, BYU, and Boise, which I think the West would be far superior to the East. Uh, but just let's just say that's the scenario. How do you think Oklahoma State would fare in a conference like that? I mean, I think Oklahoma State fares pretty well in a conference like that. They all of a sudden uh, are no longer – the little brother to OU because OU's gone. OU's in the SEC now. You're not competing with the school down south. You're competing with other schools in the conference that you've pretty much been beating up on for the better part of the last decade. Oklahoma State, go look at their record the last decade in the conference against teams not named OU. It's pretty damn good. It's really damn good, actually. And I don't see any reason why that wouldn't continue. Uh, Oklahoma State's better football program than BYU, better football program than Boise. Um, yeah, I think Oklahoma State would fare really well uh, competitively in a conference that no longer included OU or Texas, but added a few of these others we're talking about. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And that's why I've, I just I, – I used to be so against them staying, and I still am. I think it would be far better to be in a more stable conference. But – if they piece it together like that and it does move to a 12-team playoff, which you and I think eventually 
maybe not anytime soon, eventually will. I think Oklahoma State's in a great spot right there. I mean, they still have the Texas schools to compete against. Uh, you got some name brands like BYU and Boise, and then, you know, Iowa State keeps Matt Campbell. That's and Cincinnati's been really good, and all the teams we've mentioned. I, there's no way I think those that conference is getting shut out of a 12-team playoff. So I think that that actually increases OSU's odds of making the playoff if that were to happen. So it's not, it's not totally dead doom and gloom as it once was, in my opinion. Because I think you're right. I think OSU could certainly, with their record in, in the Big 12 over the last decade, speaks for itself. They're, they're far and away number two. No one's even really close behind them in Oklahoma. So maybe it's not all doom and gloom, but that's that's kind of the latest with with conference realignment. Anything more to add before we move on, Colby? I don't think so. Let's. Uh, I'm really hoping that there is no more news on conference realignment between now and I mean, at least we're going to get some football. Eight days from today, we are putting a football on a tee at Boone Pickens Stadium and sending it into the sky. And I just I can't wait for that. Uh, it's been a long month of conference realignment. It really has. But yeah, once we start playing games, I think that'll be more of, of the focus for sure. And we are going to play games soon. I mean, OSU released their depth chart on Thursday. There was some interesting tidbits in there. And Kyle Cox wrote an article on pistolsfiringblog.com. You can go read it. He has five thoughts on the uh, the depth chart. And number one, Colby, is something we've discussed lately is the, the depth at running back. I mean, there's a bunch of oars on there. There's four oars. Uh, LD Brown or everyone else or everyone else, you know. So it's, it's fascinating how deep that running back room is. Mike Gundy said that if they had 40 carries right now, he would like it to be 10, 10 across the board. And he said, now, if someone gets hot, they'll stay in there. But it certainly appears they're, they're willing to play all four running backs, which Mike Gundy said he hasn't had the luxury of doing really ever in his tenure. Yeah, and really the big luxury that you have there, I mean, running backs take a bunch of hits. They get banged up. Guys miss games. Guys get tired. I mean – You've got some serious depth here that allows you to just rifle guys through, keep fresh legs. Somebody gets hurt. It's just really is next man up. It's not, you know, having to, you know, go dumpster diving uh, to find a backup running back, which I mean, Oklahoma state has been really good at running back for 20 years, but injuries happen. And then another guy has to come in and production dips and maybe production doesn't dip this year. If a guy goes out, but man, I love a good or, and three of them here, LD Brown or Desmond Jackson or Dominic Richardson or Jalen Warren, you know, none of them are freshmen. Three of them actually are red shirt seniors. The only one who's not is Dominic Richardson, who's a true sophomore. So, I mean, yeah, Oklahoma state is as set as they've been at the running back position from a depth standpoint um and i'm trying to think of really good running back rooms i don't know that i can go four deep but you know oklahoma state did at one time have justice hill and chris carson that was a really good running back room justice hill chuba hubbard was a really good running back room i mean oklahoma state's had some good running back rooms but four deep is probably as deep as i can remember in recent memory yeah the, the wear and tear is a real thing i mean just remember how how Chuba kind of slowed down at the end of the, the year when he was having that, that Doak Walker type of year. Cause just, you're right. There's so many carries on one running back in that scenario. And just, they're just not the same player at the end of the year that they are at the beginning of the year. And you just look to the school down South, as you call them, Oklahoma, they're down to two running backs, two scholarship running backs because Marcus major from Millwood didn't make grades. He's out. And this Trey Bradford kid that transferred in from LSU apparently is reportedly transferring back to LSU and doesn't have to lose a year of eligibility. Uh, so that's that's interesting. I mean, to only be down to two running backs at the start of the year has to make Lincoln Riley a little nervous, even, even though those as talented as they are. I thought that was interesting in, in terms of, you know, the conference. Yeah, I think to me, 
when I look at OU, I think running back is if we're going all 22 positions on the field, I think running back is the least important to OU. I think they can just absolutely plug anyone in and just go nuts back there. Um, I mean, even if they get another couple guys injured, they could throw a, a defensive back out there who played running back in high school. They could throw a receiver out there at running back and still run for 200 as a team. So not a big concern for me because they're so good up front and because they're so good in the passing game. I mean, you can't load the box against OU. So uh, I, I don't think it's actually going to end up mattering for OU's offense in Big 12 conference play. Now, some guys get hurt and all of a sudden you run up against OU in the playoff could having... Uh, a guy who was projected to be about your fifth or sixth stringer matter against Alabama. Yeah. At that point, I think it could have a pretty big impact. Yeah, I agree. But again, they've, they've had problems before and thrown a fullback in there to your point. They've, they've run the ball decently with like uh, Dimitri flowers, a fullback running at, at tailback. So that's interesting in terms of the big 12 uh, more thoughts on the depth chart. Uh, Brennan Presley is going to return punts, uh, which we know Colby, as you and I have discussed, has not been a great, strength for Oklahoma State in a long time going back to when he had Blackman just fair catching it Dylan Stoner just fair catching it the the Jalen McCluskey roller coaster ride back there where he, he let it bounce and then fumble and just there was it was kind of going haywire there for years at a punt returner but Brennan Presley to me is very exciting uh at, at the punt returner spot and Mike Gundy had a hilarious quote I guess uh Presley requested that they give him flags since they don't hit returners during special teams practice. <laughs> and Mike Gundy said, Brennan has a different train of thought at times. It's the first time I've been asked that. <laughs> so yeah, that's, I thought that was, that's uh, a way to let him return it and not, not let him get hit. Yeah. I thought that that was really funny. Um, Brennan Presley listed at kick returner and punt returner, which will be a nice change of pace if Oklahoma State can get anything going in that area. Carson, do you know how many total return touchdowns Oklahoma State has since Tyreek Hill took the punt to the house in Bedlam? Uh, my guess would be zero. It's actually not zero. There have been a few. I would, if, I, if I went back and looked, I would assume most of these are in non-conference games against FCS opponents, but Oklahoma State has three in the last seven years since Tyreek Hill returned the punt against Oklahoma. But kind of to your point about it feels like zero, how many returns of consequence has Oklahoma State had in the last seven years? I mean, the one that Tyreek had is one of the biggest in school history, if not the biggest in school history. But since then, I mean, returns of consequence have been a non-factor. And it's not just that Oklahoma State hasn't been taking any to the house. It's that Oklahoma State can't get 12 yards on a punt return to give yourself a little better, better field position. Starting at your own 30 is a lot different than starting at your own 18 or your own 14 or something like that. Oklahoma State just has to have a pulse in the return game, and they haven't had that pretty much since Tyreek left. So I'm really hoping Brennan Presley can change that. Yeah, no, that I think he can. He's he's simply electric when he gets the ball in his hands. We saw at the end of the year. Uh, I'm excited for for a return game. I mean, I think, I think that'll certainly help because this offense is not what it was back in the early 2010s. I think that could certainly help them score more points by getting better returns, better field position. That that's one thing that's really bugged Oklahoma state in, in some of these games is just, they've, they've been losing the, the, the field position battle and special teams certainly plays a role in that. Now they, I think they've been pretty good on, on kick coverages and, and covering punts and stuff like that, but certainly a return game would, would definitely help. Uh, number three, his third thought on the, the roster or depth chart. Blaine Green headlines, the new class of talented wideouts. And he's one of the twins, Blaine Green and Bryson Green. But Blaine is penciled in as a starter at outside receiver. And just 
Everyone I've talked to, Colby, just says this dude is a baller, and uh, he he earned a spot, and, and so did so too did the uh, the kid from Norman. Uh, God, his name just escaped me all of a sudden, but the kid from Norman's also listed on the depth chart as well. So some young young receivers are uh, are going to step into the the depth chart or the the starting lineup. Yeah, Jaden Bray, the kid from Norman, yes, yes, uh, listed on the depth chart as well behind Tay Martin. But, yeah, Blaine Green, Gundy talked about him, said he's very physical, 215 pounds, picked the system up early and stayed healthy. And he talked a lot about him being able to stay healthy whenever he's young because, uh, you know, I mean, young guys tend to get dinged up a little more. I don't know if you know this, you get hit a little harder at the Power 5 Division One level than you do at the high school level. I don't care if you played 6A in Texas, you're getting hit harder in college football. And uh, guys get dinged up. Hopefully he can stay healthy. But, man, a true freshman starting at receiver is not something I probably saw coming uh, just based on the way that Gundy has, I think, been a little hesitant to run 19, 18, to 19-year-olds out there in the past. But if he's the best guy for the position, and, I mean, 6'1", 215 as a true freshman, that's really good size on a kid that young. Yeah, I think they, they're loaded at receiver. I mean, none of these guys have played. But, yeah, the Green Twins, Bray, I think he's done nothing but make big plays for OSU. So I'm pretty high on the receiver core, even though they don't have just a ton of experience. So that that's going to be fun to watch just to see who's in there majority of the time. And there are a few oars in there as well uh, with Langston Anderson on the roster as well. So that – that's something that'll play out during the year who makes plays who grades out well and it's it's a nice problem to have that's for sure and same goes for the defensive line they're they're loaded up front and that's something we don't talk a lot about Colby and I, I don't think people around the nationally certainly understand that the, the depth they have at defensive line and Trace Ford has or next to his name he's coming off the injury but but you got Brock Martin coming back I mean a guy no one ever talks about is Tyler Lacey uh, he, he's been a really solid player for Oklahoma State. So with Ford, Martin, Lacey, and then you got Antoine and Evers in there, that, that, that's pretty dang solid on the defensive line. Yeah, it's really good. The Oklahoma State defensive line is underrated. And I think Oklahoma State's had great individual players on the D-line. You know, Vincent Taylor comes to mind, guys like that. But the depth across the defensive line is as good as it's been in a long time. Ford Martin, Evers, Jaden Jernigan, also redshirt sophomore uh, out of Allen, Texas, where the Green Twins are from down in Texas. Israel Antwine, Tyler Lacey, Cody Walterscheid. That name should sound familiar, that last name anyway, to Oklahoma State fans. So the defensive line is going to be really good for Oklahoma State I mean I'm, I'm going down through the list here and they're just there's not a position group on defense that I worry about now I don't think are they going to be the number one overall uh S&P plus defense in the country no they're not but could they be top 15 top 20 I think they could and that's a big deal for Oklahoma State because the defense could be that good uh and maybe you have one of those special years like 2011 where you turn the, t- the other the opposing teams over a ton then all of a sudden this could turn in to a 10 win team. Uh, and that would be a huge accomplishment, I think, for this Oklahoma State team. Yeah. The, the one thing I do worry about, if I worry about anything, it's the opposite corner uh, spot. Uh, and certainly replacing Amen Ogbong Bamiga, who I recently read, you know, he's undrafted free agent with San Diego or San Diego, the LA Chargers. I'll never get used to that. And he's turned a lot of heads with the Chargers. I think he's going to make the team. For LA, that's how good he's been in the NFL, even though he was undrafted. So I, I think replacing him will be a task. He was a really good linebacker at Oklahoma State, but they have some experience stepping in for him. But that's that's picking nits. That's that would be my one big concern is the, the the other corner spot and then replacing Amen. But 
you're right. I mean, there's not a lot to worry about with the defense, which is why I'm so high on this team this year, because I think they have so much talent on offense ready to step up that they just kind of get out of their own way with some of their schemes. I think they're going to have a really good team on both sides of the football. But uh, protecting Spencer Sanders is going to be huge. We know he's dealt with just kind of a, a musical chairs offensive line throughout his career. But left tackle is still a competition. You know, Caleb Etienne is battling uh, alongside Taylor Materko. Uh, and there's an or next to their name. And Gundy says both of them are going to play. So I think it's a good – you'd like to have a, a guy who's an unquestioned starter, Colby, but it's also nice to have two guys still competing for a spot. They're going to look at the film every single Sunday and – the best guy is going to play. And sometimes that's a good problem to have. Yeah. And if they think that they're both good enough to play, which I think they do, then that makes you feel better about depth throughout the season, not only at left tackle, but I mean, if these guys can play left tackle, if the right tackle gets hurt, maybe they can swing over there. And Gundy was asked yesterday, what's going to happen to the guy who loses that competition. He said that guy will be used some as a swing guard or swing tackle uh, for certain packages and for depth, you know, maybe even at center or something like that. If somebody goes down, you can have depth with these extra guys. Uh, so yeah, I love that those guys are in competition and makes me think that Taylor Materko might be pretty skilled because he's six six two ninety five. Caleb Etienne six seven three fifty, and they're still one A and one B on the depth chart. I mean, you're giving up an inch and fifty five pounds to the guy you're competing against, and you're still right there with him. Makes me think Materko maybe has some skill to him. Yeah, I mean, the fact he's he's keeping up with that big boy Etienne tells you a lot about him. And uh, again, the, the Godlevsky, the center, I'm, I just keep hearing is going to be rock solid at center, which is such an important position on the offensive line to where. I'm pretty, I'm pretty optimistic about the offensive line for the first time in a long time. So that's kind of the depth chart. That'll change as the year progresses. But, again, they, they got some talent. I think they're, they're a sleeper team for me in, in the Big 12 to get to the, the conference championship game. But it's almost game week, Colby. We got Missouri State next week. Yeah, the fighting Bobby Petrinos coming to town. I forgot that was the thing. This morning I read it somewhere, and I was like, oh, my God, Petrino is up there. What a world we live in. Yeah, I mean, he's going to ride the motorcycle out to midfield, leading the team onto the field. <laughs> oh, too soon. Well, no, yeah. it's, it's not too soon, I don't think. Uh, that was that was in poor taste. I'm sorry, Bobby. That yeah, was, that was a happens. bad joke. I apologize. He, he, uh, might, he gets to lay in it. Yeah. So Missouri State season opener, and then we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that next week. And it, it's, it's dang near here. I, I can't wait, Colby. Yeah, can't wait. Week from tomorrow. Go Pokes. All right, everybody have a good weekend. We'll check in with you next week. 